to Oh, I Like That, a podcast about things we like and occasionally things we don't. I'm Sally Tamarkin. And I'm Zara Barnes. Yeah, you are. Zara <laughs> Barnes. Welcome to Oh, I Like That. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm so deeply honored you asked, to be honest. I was wondering if I would, wondering and hoping I would get an ask. So I'm excited to. Oh my God, you totally get an ask. Uh, Zara, you are a writer and editor. Mm-hmm. You are my friend. Yes. You are the godmother of my cat, Miles. <laughs> Again, honored deeply. So you're here to have a conversation that uh, I'm very excited for us to have because you have a lot of uh, thoughts and opinions on this topic, as do I. And we're going to get to in a minute, uh, and I'm not even going to tell you what it is. That's the tease, is that we have a fun topic coming up. I'm not going to tell you what it is. First things first, let's do a vibe check. You want to you wanna kick off our vibe check? You want to tell us what the vibe is, Zara? So the vibes are good in large part because they are less sweaty than they have been the entire summer. So as you know, I live in D.C. We have a day that is like cloudy and low 80s, which is such a nice break. So I think I'm actually going to leave the house and maybe do some furniture shopping since I desperately need a lot more furniture in this place I just moved into. But the best part is that I have the perfect book to listen to. It's a thriller called The Love of My Life by Rosie Walsh. What I love about it is it has just enough, you know, twists and turns to keep me interested, but not so many that I can't pay attention while I'm looking at furniture. And that's actually a really tough category of audiobook to fulfill. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a that's a tough niche. But I feel like also someone could probably make a fortune if their whole thing was to like write books that like once you listen to them, they're compelling, but they don't distract you from the things you're trying to get done. And that's actually I guess that's what podcasts are. <laughs> I, I guess I guess it is. But the other thing about it is I, I've just like a lot of people been having a hard time reading thanks to, you know, whole pandemic stress. And lately I've gotten back into it with my whole heart and it feels really, really, really good. One thing that you and I don't share in common is a love of horror and like thriller type stuff. So I, I'm a scaredy cat. You enjoy the the horror genre. Sometimes just when you tell me a movie that you're watching, I am scared just like just seeing the description of it over text. So, um... So do you think that I can read or listen to this book without freaking out? Or is that just a big no? That's a good question. I think you can. It's it's more suspenseful than truly creepy. Um, there are just lots of layers going on that I am in the midst of uncovering and getting to the bottom of. But I think I think you would be OK with it. OK, so maybe I'll check out Love of My Life by Rosie Walsh, which we'll have a link to in the show notes. So just really quick, I mean, my vibe is actually kind of the same, which is that, first of all, it's a Saturday morning, which is not usually when I record this. And so the vibes are, the, it's weekend vibes, which is nice. Um, and it's it's actually like sunny and breezy here and not a zillion degrees. So similarly, uh, it's been like pretty gross, pretty sweaty. I don't know, are, are Philly and DC in the same like weather climate zone. I All I know is that it's very humid here. I feel like we're in the same general band because sometimes I'll text you and be like, look at the storm rolling in. 
and there's a storm rolling in for you as well. The humidity in DC is not to be believed. And it's, it's similar to like, I lived in Chicago for like a hot second and I was like, the winter is going to be fine. I'm from New England. How cold can it be? And I spent a winter there and I was like, this is uninhabitable. I'm moving. And I feel kind of like the same way about the humidity in DC, which is that like, you know, whatever. It's like the East Coast. It's not really the South. How bad can the humidity be? And I remember stepping off the train uh, at my freshman year to go to GW and I was like, oh, this is uninhabitable. So I think it should just be like noted that we're dealing with unendurable uh, climate places. Coming from Miami, where I grew up and spent 18 summers of my life, or, you know, I'm hedging that number a little bit, but DC... I think actually gives Miami a little bit of a run for its money. Really? In ter- in terms of humidity and just summer disgust. So I'm I'm kind of with you. I love talking about the weather and I could do an entire <laughs> episode on the weather every single time, but uh, we should probably move on to other things. So uh, First of all, go to uh, T Public and search for Oh I Like That and get our cool logo on basically any piece of apparel or surface or accessory you can imagine. Uh, having said that, let's move on to our main segment, which I'm very excited about, Zara. We are going to talk about weddings. This is the perfect timing because after getting married last October, I had to take the biggest break from all things wedding wedding planning just could not my brain was overloaded with it and my spirit was tired so this is like I am ready to dive back in to talking about weddings this is I kind of feel like you are coming back to like the scorched earth that you left behind to like you know tell everyone what this battleground is like because um you got married and it was amazing and beautiful and lovely. And you, your wedding planning process was, you're, you're a very, you do like a, a fair amount of research, I think we could say, <laughs> and like, and like information gathering. Uh, it was, it was very entertaining and interesting for me to sort of be like, uh, your friend while you were planning your wedding, because, you know, I, I would get sort of like little hints here and there of the kinds of things that you were researching and the things that you were looking into and some of the like horrors that you were uncovering that lurk uh, in like just like the wedding planning industrial complex. Um, and there's a lot of stuff there. And uh, and some of it is like interesting, but like in an obvious way. And we all know, you know, what things make weddings weird and bad. But then there's also just a lot of other things that like but certainly like weren't on my radar when I was planning our wedding, which was very like we we sort of had my partner and I had like a glorified dinner party, basically. One of the best types of weddings there is, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I recommend it like we, you know, for people who want to have something but like don't want to deal with like too much planning, I think. I mean, there are a lot of reasons we did it the way we did it. But one of the reasons was that like the main thing we cared about was having our friends together, eating a good meal. And the peop- two, we, we had two people kind of co-officiate and marry us. And because there wasn't really anything else that we wanted to have happen, we were like, well, maybe let's not do like a big old wedding thing. Let's just like do a dinner party and call it a wedding. 
And so, you know, we didn't have to look into like music or I, I, I hired a photographer who like, wasn't a very good photographer. And I have to say like, this is where doing more research pays off because I don't know if you know this Zara, but you get what you pay for a lot of the time. (laughs) Funny how that turns out. One thing that you discover in wedding planning is that everything costs like an enormous amount of money. I, I realize that there are entire like websites devoted to like helping people have weddings while also maintaining a budget. And we stumbled on a photographer who was like kind of just getting started, I think. And so the rates were really reasonable. And so we hired him and he was fine. Like he was a lovely person. He, he had me and Andrea pose in like weird prom like ways for pictures. And he didn't really take any photo. He, there were maybe like two or three photos from that night that we're like psyched about. But the thing that I think we're going to start with is the idea of intentional wedding planning. So Zara, what is intentional wedding planning? Intentional wedding planning is one of those things that I think will mean different things to different people, obviously. But to me and to my now husband, it meant acknowledging that there are lots of stereotypes about what a wedding is, what a wedding isn't, and deciding that we were going to figure out what made sense for our goals for our wedding um, and, and kind of know that there were these preconceived notions, but not do things a certain way with our wedding just because it's quote unquote how it should be. So we wanted to really think about what we wanted our wedding to mean, what we wanted it to feel like for us and our guests and try to make that happen as much as possible. I think that Andrea and I did that like 5% of the way because in part it was inadvertent, like because we just were like, well, we we don't want to have there were a lot of other reasons for why we did it the way we did it. And we, you know, we did think about how do we want this to feel? What's this about? But we didn't really go further than that. And when I've talked to you about the things that you were thinking about in your wedding planning, I realized that there were a lot of ways that, you know, it's like, there's just supposed to, there's just this way that weddings are supposed to be, and you're just supposed to take it off the shelf, you know, and put it into practice. Can you give a few examples of, if you want, they can be from your wedding, but just like of things that come up during intentional wedding planning that stick out to you? One of the biggest things for us was viewing our wedding as an investment you know, speaking with our dollars, essentially, um, which we're lucky enough to be able to do in the first place. But being really intentional about there are all these lists of the quote unquote best vendors, the best photographers in your area, the best um, venues even. And that's great for inspiration. But I, and this through a, a wrench in our planning in some ways and made it kind of tough. I wanted to support people who I felt like had values that aligned with ours. That was one of the most kind of heavy lift intentional things we tried to do Um, rather than just saying, you know, I want this to look a certain way or even feel a certain way. So I'm going to go with people who align with that look and feel and that's it. And it, it made it tougher. It made it in some ways more expensive. 
and uh, just a much more drawn out research process. But I'm it was really important to us. So I'm glad we did it. Yeah. And also then, you know, that like the people who are showing up like on the day of and doing stuff, you're like psyched to have them there. You're not worried about them being weird and like that they're going to think something weird or say something weird. And you, you get to support the livelihood of people who have good values, which is really dope. Right. And part of, part of me being an avid researcher means I've read a lot of terrible stories of vendors showing up and being anywhere on the spectrum from weird to hateful, um, and people being taken aback. And I just, I really did not want to be in that position and didn't want to put our guests in that position because sometimes of course your guests get exposed to that. I just keep thinking about our wedding and, you know, we had it in Brooklyn and I think that we had this feeling that like, well, we're in Brooklyn. So like wherever we go and whoever we hire, I'm sure it's fine. Of course, like, I don't know, maybe like, I hope the people who own the restaurant that we went to don't, aren't like MAGA supporters or whatever especially because we've eaten there a lot and we've given a lot of our money. But like, I didn't look into that, you know, and same with our photographer, bless his heart. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what his deal was, you know, I'm trying to think of what other vendors we had. I think those might be the only, only ones, but, th but there's a lot of other stuff going on because you have people who do flowers, you have people who do makeup, um, you know, caterers, all that stuff. Um, and it's a lot to think about. Um, like, Speaking of terrible wedding things, I mean, should we just dive into some terrible wedding culture yes. stuff? Okay. Yes. My brain is my brain is ready. So you have a really good disclaimer here, which is a very good thing to say and actually helped me and even preparing for the show, which is that we can't even really begin to cover everything about terrible wedding culture or we would be recording kind of until the end of time uh, because there's so much there. Um, so I think this is going to be sort of uh, a slice of life, if you will, just a glimpse um, into the things that kind of stood out to us most. So you have weird gender shit, or maybe I put weird gender you shit definitely. and then you filled it in. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I put weird gender shit, but then you had a lot of things to fill in. And, you know, in some ways, the weirdest gender shit I've had to deal with when it comes to weddings is other people's weddings and, you know, how weird it is to be like the only queer person at a wedding or the only like gender non-conforming person, like there's that kind of stuff. Um, but there's, but with p planning, I haven't really had to deal with that. And I would absolutely love to hear you talk about some of the stuff that you added into the doc. So just yeah. you start anywhere, Zara. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really relentless in so many different ways. Um, Starting with, for example, when you're researching vendors, one of the kind of vibe checks I did of my vendors was looking at their social media, looking at their websites and seeing what type of diversity, if any, they, they showed with their couples. Obviously, huge disclaimer here that you can't tell everything about a couple from how they look in a photo. There are right. so many things related to identity that you cannot pick up on from a photo. But it was still very obvious when, let's say, a photographer would make a, an effort to show a diverse and inclusive range of people getting married versus when that was just not on someone's radar at all. If I don't see like a same-sex couple on the grid, I'm 
like, that's just not, we're not doing, we're not, it's not working for me. It's over for you. Like it was very easy to cross people out when that was the case, but then we would even get sometimes people who would pass that test. But when you submit um, a form asking for more information, they would just have two fields and it would say groom's name, bride's name. And so I'm like, okay, your work, your efforts need to be a little bit more layered here. Totally, totally. But when it comes to my husband and I, when we were planning just the level of people who thought I would love the idea that our wedding was all about me. I was not getting married to myself. I think there are a couple of places in the U.S. where you can actually do that. But that was not what my wedding was about. And people would say things like, oh, you know, well, it's just your day and Blake is going to show up. And <gasps> no. he, He's just going to show up at the altar magically. I guess he would oh know how to, he'd know where to go because I guess I would tell him. <laughs> but Oh my God. There are obviously so many things that are wrong with that. Number one, the imbalance of labor is just one, like if Blake were okay with that setup, I would not have been marrying him. True. Yeah. But also the idea that I'm the one who's so excited about commitment and he's just kind of shrugging and tripping over himself into being married to me and going along with it. And it kind of plays into those cake toppers that are so oh God, yeah, wildly unbelievable. I don't know how many of them you've seen, but some of them will be the woman and the guy has like a ball and chain around around his ankle. I've seen the one where the woman is like dragging the guy. She's dragging him by his tie. Yeah. All of it is. Oh my God. It's brutal. Very interconnected in my brain. And we just, we dealt with a lot of people thinking it was, you know, I was the only one who cared. They could contact me if they had any questions. Even if he was the one emailing them, they would respond with my name. It's just very layered and very bullshit. Yeah. It's like that thing of like, how there's like chick flicks and you got to like drag your boyfriend to a movie that you're that you want to see it's like that but it's your wedding exactly I went to your wedding as a guest you did <laughs> and I, I I feel like I can say that it was beautiful thank you it was lovely it felt really good to be there it was you know sometimes you go to weddings that are weird and uncomfortable for some reason and there's a million of those reasons and I didn't feel any of them. And I, I say that to say, like, I feel like sometimes you hear people, I mean, I think it's like this with influencers where you, they talk about their lives, they show pictures of their lives and like everything they're doing. And you're like, okay, yeah, but what's it really like? And so like, I'm, I'm breaking the fourth wall to tell you, we're going to talk about all the, you know, the things that Zara did for her wedding. And like, actually the wedding itself is really awesome. So you have here something that I was very interested in weaponized incompetence. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah. So essentially weaponized incompetence is a way of acting so inefficient at something that you get out of putting any effort into it. Okay. So one example is that often comes up a lot with weddings in cis straight couples is the woman will say, you know, we need to find a photographer. Um, 
can you help me research? And then the dude will say, oh, but I don't know anything about weddings. And, you know, no, no one came out of the womb knowing anything about weddings, I don't right. think. So So that on its own is an issue. But then if if he says, okay, fine, you know, I'll help out. And then he does the bare minimum or he sends photographers that are all over the country if you need them in one one area. And obviously that example I just gave is playing into a lot of stereotypes. But in my lurking on wedding planning subreddits, it's something I saw come up again and again and again. It's very real. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have that in my household where I'm so bad at finding things that Andre's like, I'm just going to just step aside and like, let me deal with it. I have that as well, which is part of why today was such a struggle getting this podcast (laughs) up and running because normally Blake would have helped me find everything and he is off in nature becoming one with the trees. So as he, as he likes to do, actually, Andrea is off in nature today too, which is really funny. We both married. Yeah. We both married outdoorsy <laughs> people and we're both pretty indoorsy. How did it happen? How did I don't it happen, know. Sally? I don't know. Esther Perel can probably tell us. <laughs> the weaponized incompetence thing is really interesting because I think it also feeds into um, something else that you mentioned in the doc, which I want to talk about, which is the thing of like sort of disentangling, like what of this is gendered, quote unquote, and what isn't like someone being like, well, it's not gendered. It's just that like, I'm way more interested in this kind of stuff than my partner. And it's like, yeah, but like, there's probably like a lot of like gender socialization there. Um, And also, I guess at a certain point, it's like, okay, well, gender stuff aside, (laughs) which is something I've never said in my life, gender, (laughs) gender stuff aside, like this event is focused on the two of us. And you know, we're each going to have people we care about there. We're both going to have to eat the food that's served. We're both going to look at the flowers. Like what does it, I mean, you know, I, I, there are definitely things in my relationship that I spend more time, you know, I spent a lot of time like researching appliances before we moved in. And Andrea was like, I don't care. And I'm not doing that. And Mm -hmm you know, and vice versa. Like there are things about our home that I didn't care about and Andrea took the lead on. Um, But so I guess like one of the things that comes up for me about this is like how, how to like approach this if you are in like a cis-straight couple, how to approach this kind of thing if you have a, and I'm not asking you to like solve this problem, Zara. I realize I didn't like, I, I didn't bring you on here so you could like solve this problem. I can't solve this problem. So I'm glad you're not <laughs> expecting me to. Yeah, no, I'm not. But like, what do you do? And this could be just a rhetorical question. If you, if you, if you're someone who wants a wedding to be a certain way and you really care about it and you have a partner who doesn't care about it, maybe because they're a cis guy. And so they have never been expected to think or care about this stuff how do you approach this without becoming one of those couples on Reddit that's like a real buzzkill? It's so, so hard, especially because it's not something you can work on for the rest of your life. Like so many other things, it is this contained planning experience. Um, I mean, lest I portray my wedding planning or my wedding or me or my husband as though we're perfect, we're obviously not. And we definitely ran into some of this 
partly because I don't know if you've heard about maximizers versus satisficers when it comes to to making choices. (laughs) No, but I love the word satisfice and I want to hear everything. I think I might have butchered it a little bit, but essentially there's the school of thought that says when it comes to making decisions, you have people who are maximizers and they like to research every possible option and maximize the chances of finding the perfect thing for them. And then there are satisficers who will start the research. And once they find something that is like good enough or great enough, that's all they need. I am 1 trillion percent a maximizer. I was going to finish that sentence. Yeah. (laughs) My husband is 100 trillion percent a satisficer. I think that some of that is absolutely gendered. Um, But I mean, gendered in the sense of like, we were raised with certain expectations based on our genders that have turned into me being a maximizer and him being a satisficer. But it's tough because we do normally navigate it pretty well when it comes to other things. Like as you were saying with you and Andrea, when it comes to house stuff, for instance, if there's something I care about a lot more than he does, I'm normally happy to do my own research on it because I know that it's just like an aesthetic thing that I would prefer this versus that. Mm -hmm. But with wedding planning, I did a lot of second guessing myself and our dynamics in a way that made it harder to figure out, is this a gendered thing? Is this a quote unquote, just a personality thing? It's really hard to untangle. In some, I have no answers for you. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. And I think um, as with a lot of things, the answers are like dismantle everything that we have and start over. And obviously that's probably not going to happen before someone, you know, plans their plans their wedding. Um, Did you go into it being like, okay, this is going to be complex and complicated and we're going to be coming up against a lot of weird gender stuff and a lot of other weird norms and we're going to have to figure out how to navigate it as a couple? Like, was there that kind of thing that you knew going into it? Or is it like, you just discovered this as you were going? I 100% knew it going into it because I did so much research beforehand. Because I, I knew that there were a lot of ways that wedding planning can be hellish and wanted to avoid that if possible. So it sounds like in your planning, you saw a lot of this kind of thing of like, it's not gendered. This is just our personality. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how you would see that? And I'm also curious, like if then there would be commenters saying like, oh girl, it's the same in my relationship. This is just how it is. Or like kind of of what the conversation would be. And then like any other things you saw uh, on Reddit or any other sites like that, that were kind of like repeated themes I'd love to hear about. As you know, I'm a secret Redditor. I love lurking a lot of different subreddits. Um, I stay out of like 99% of Reddit, but the 1% really, really gets where I'm coming from. So I spent a lot of time on the wedding planning Reddit, just reading about what other people were dealing with, trying to prevent issues with our own wedding and wedding planning that can come up. And one thing I saw terribly often was people, pretty much always women, 
would post and say, my partner is not helping me with planning at all. And 99% of the time they were talking about men who, you know, had usually proposed to them, had said, let's do this. But then they were completely checked out of the planning process. And of course, the specifics differed based on each post. But the the main through line that I felt was the poster was number one, ashamed. Um, number two, kind of at their wits end and feeling very emotionally overloaded. And number three, wondering what they could actually do to change that dynamic. They are at their wits end. They're ashamed and they're wondering kind of how to unring the bell of like, th- this shit has already got, like they've already gotten so far in their wedding planning and their partner is like not doing anything, not helping. That's the deal. Not caring. And there's a whole thing as well of people wondering oh, is this what it's going to be like for the rest of my life? Because a lot of these couples want to have kids, plan to have kids. And I think for a lot of people, wedding planning is the first kind of big logistical thing they're working on with a partner. And so it it uncovers a lot of stuff. And for a lot of these posters, they were realizing, wait, this complete imbalance is not okay with me, seems okay with my partner, and I can't I'm I'm scared that this is what my forever is going to look like. Oh, that's really intense. I was actually just going to ask, are there any people there who are like, and so in conclusion, should I break up with this person? There were definitely a couple of those. So when I'm looking through the comments of these types of posts, a lot of times the commenters agree with me, which is validating, which is like, this is a time to reevaluate something, whether it's if you want to be with this person forever, if you need to set up a new type of kind of dynamic around wedding plannings in your relationship, if it makes sense to start couples therapy, if you can. But one thing I saw a lot that annoyed me was people would chime in and say, oh, it's like that in my relationship too. It's not a gendered thing just because I'm a woman. I'm just naturally more type A. The words just naturally when it comes to, you know, socio-cultural dynamic, there there is not a lot that is just natural. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> so it it I get where people are coming from because they don't necessarily want this mirror held up to them about their own relationship. And it's a lot easier to say, oh, I'm just naturally type A. So I'm going to care more about this wedding and I'm totally fine doing 80 to 100% of the planning. But I saw that often enough for it to be a pretty common pattern as well. Whether or not something is natural, quote unquote, which of course is that's the most misleading, complicated, loaded term as, as you pointed out. But it's also like, who cares? Like you can still not want that dynamic. (laughs) Like if if, like, you know, we're assigned detail oriented at birth, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know, fine. But that doesn't mean that you have to want to be in a situation where all of the work or all of a certain kind of work falls on you and your partner does none of it. Because I think the other thing is that, you know, for example, Andrea and I, our division of labor is very much like if you care about a thing and the other person doesn't, like you 
you do the research, you know, Um, that's exactly how we are too. Yeah. That's worked really well for things like getting a new rug or like finding the right washing machine. But planning a wedding is a is a much different thing because first of all, it can be a massive project with a lot of moving parts. It can happen over a really long timeline. And also it can involve emotional things and relationship management that are a lot to handle on top of, you know, securing the vendors, you know, because if you're planning, if you're taking, you know, if you're planning 75% of the wedding and then there's some like weird thing that happens between like you and your cousin who gets mad about a thing, like, like then you have to deal with that too. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or like if you have like a bridal party and they're being weird or you don't like one of your friends anymore, then you have to deal with that on top of all the wedding planning you said that you would do. And I can only imagine being like, well, yeah, I mean, this is how it's going to be. I'm just more type A. And then you get to a point where you find yourself posting on Reddit because (laughs) it was all fine and good. And now it's, you know, everything's sort of falling apart and your partner isn't equipped to help. And I think that's the other thing that like kind of bums me out when I read these kinds of posts that like bums me out about like compulsory heterosexuality. There's this almost like learned helplessness of Mm -hmm. cis men where because of what you said of, and maybe this is actually just the same thing as like weaponized incompetence where like, because they keep doing something so badly, uh, the partner just takes over. Like they've never really, I'm speaking very broadly. I know not all men are like this and I know that not all men are like this in all situations, but I've seen it enough to know that it does happen sometimes that the expectations are so low for what they need to provide that when there comes a time where their partner is like really struggling and has really hit a wall and really needs help, they aren't even equipped to like, they wouldn't even like know where to begin. Like they, you know, they can't like step in and like triage. And that's just a really shitty situation to find yourself in. It is. And you hit the nail on the head with kind of the most important part of weaponized incompetence that I don't, because I do think it's another term essentially for learned helplessness, Mm. but doing a bad enough job at something, whether you realize it or not with the goal of not having to do that work anymore and not getting asked to do that type of work anymore, because you know, it's going to be so frustrating for the other person that they are just going to decide they will do that. And there's no point in asking you. And then I also think in addition to just the logistical chaos and kind of overwhelming potential, not burden, but like mental load of, of planning a wedding and knowing that you're planning, let's say 75% of it. It's also it, these posts just sound so lonely because they don't have, it feels like they don't have someone who's in it the same way with the same mental and emotional investment of even being like, wow, we're dealing with a lot, but it's going to be worth it when the wedding actually happens. It feels like they're just taking on the emotional and mental part in addition to the logistical part. It kind of makes you wonder, like, how did we get here? How did weddings even become this thing that could get... Oh my God, yeah. And I'm sure that's like, you know, there are entire books written on that, I'm sure. But, you know, 
the idea that this like fun thing that's supposed to be like a cute celebration kind of becoming the undoing <laughs> of so many people is like, you know, it's, yeah, I guess it's just like anything else in our modern life. It can become burdensome really quickly because you have so many choices and because resources are so scarce and because you have to manage relationships on top of that and you're working and maybe you're caring for dependents and stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely, as intentional as we tried to be about it and focus on really celebrating not only our relationship, but our community and focusing on the people as the most important part, I still toward the end felt like I was a circus master. I felt like there was so much going on with too many vendors and too many details. So intentional, (laughs) intentional wedding planning is, is a great aspiration to have, but I just, I don't want people to feel bad if a lot of parts of it go awry or if they hear, you know, familiar dynamics from their relationship and anything we're talking about, because it's, it's not something anyone can do perfectly. I want to keep moving through this because, um, there's a lot of other weird gender shit to talk about, such as like wedding parties, like that are like single gender for reasons that like no one can like understand, um, people being weird about pictures. Like I don't want someone who's wearing the wrong, I don't want a, I don't want a lady in a suit in my picture that, that whole thing. Um, totally absurd. So let's just like, let's just say like all that shit is totally absurd. Get a fucking grip and then move on. Cause there's other stuff I want to talk about too. Um, because I feel like the gender stuff alone is kind of like its own like universe of, I think based on how much we have to say about it, it's its own galaxy, um, or universe. Yes. Let's talk about plantations because oh God, my favorite subject, <laughs> your favorite subject, which, you know, I was sort of like vaguely aware that people had weddings on plantations and that, you know, you can visit plantations as like a tourist thing, which is um, really perverse. Um, But I didn't really understand until you were sharing some of the stuff with your planning, how prevalent it is and how in some parts of the country, it's possible that like your top five choices of places to get married are all going to be plantations. So can you like talk a little bit about your experience with that? Yes. So this was one of the toughest parts of planning because my husband and I live in Washington, DC, as you know. Um, and when we were originally thinking about what type of wedding we wanted, we wanted it to be surrounded by nature as much as I have an iffy relationship with nature and feel that fresh air is vastly overrated. I did still think, you know, the beautiful green rolling hills against a blue sky that has just always been the backdrop I wanted. My husband loves nature. So we were aligned on that. Virginia in a lot of ways made the most sense for us to start this search. And as soon as we started looking for Virginia venues, we realized a lot of them are former plantations. A lot of them have plantation in the name. If they don't have plantation in the name, it's often rebranded as something like manor, manor house. It just, it gives you get out vibes. I was like, I'm 
picking up what you're putting down and it's a plantation. So we had to have a lot of conversations about what, what our line in the sand was. Would we be okay with a former plantation that was investing in the local community and making reparations in some way? Maybe. Are there any of those? Not that we could find. Yeah, I was going to say, is that a real thing or is that a thing you guys made up? It's kind of a moot point. And one of the most interesting parts was we did tour one former plantation. It was a real struggle for a lot of reasons, obviously, but it the way it branded itself was iffy. Um, it didn't have plantation in the name, but it talked about like its proud historical heritage. Oh boy. And when I looked it up outside of its official website, I was like, oh, there were black people who were slaves here. It was very close to a bunch of other tours we were doing. So we decided to stop by and have a conversation with them and see what it was like. And my husband knew that I did not and I did not want to be the person bringing that up. My husband for people, my husband is white. I'm black. That's important context. He asked the two people giving us the tour of the venue at the end of the tour. He said, you know, we were doing our research and it does look like this used to be a plantation. So we're wondering how, how you all are kind of reckoning with that mm -hmm. history as, as a wedding venue. And they denied that it had been a plantation, even though a little bit of research again, wow. great at research. And they, I could see the panic on their faces and I, I felt for them because these were people working on the wedding planning team. These were not the owners. They, I'm sure they do not get this question often, but they really, really whiffed it. Wow. <laughs> and, and obviously, you know, that place was never even really on our list, but it was extra not on our list after that. Totally. I, I thought you were going to say they, they gave some sort of like pat answer that was unsatisfactory, but to, to deny it altogether is, uh, that's a, that's a real choice. I did wonder if there was something to be said for being a black person who can get married to the person I love, even though he's a different race and quote unquote, reclaiming a plantation, that was something that a lot of even my family members thought could be beautiful. And I can see why people would think so, but I just ultimately did not feel comfortable doing that as a black person marrying a white person. Maybe if I were marrying another black person, but it just, it really didn't make sense for us. I think that if you did that and then after the wedding party, you like set it on fire and walked away. And then <laughs> Maybe you had not. all these photos of you guys walking away from the the blaze. <laughs> I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the plantation thing is, um, I, again, I find it really perverse. I think mm -hmm. that, um, you know, and this may sound, maybe this sounds like overwrought, but I, I would say as a white person in the United States, like having celebratory things at plantations to me is not very different from like 
let let's uh let's have our wedding at a concentration camp like yeah. you know these are these are forced labor camps these are death camps in many instances like you know the the fact that our country has a completely bizarre and white supremacist relationship with everything means that like a lot of these places have been maintained so beautifully and been mm-hmm. allowed to continue to survive um it does is not a reason that people should be like having weddings there and also like touring them. So have you guys been to Whitney plantation? Have we talked about this before? No, but I know that's one of the few that, you know, talks very factually about its history. Right. Yeah. So that's like, it's outside of new Orleans and that's like the one you go to if you want to learn about like the history of like racial terror and, you know, enslavement in the United States and stuff like that. And it's like, you don't go there to see like cute furniture and, you know, like a dress that like the lady of the house wore or something like that. To me, like that kind of thing is the only way plantation should exist in the same way that concentration camps should exist. Like no one, you can't go to like Auschwitz and see like, and this is a perfectly preserved SS officer's bedroom. And this is where they used to like write letters. Anyway, you get it. Um, I've also never been to Auschwitz. I'm assuming they don't have that there. But like the the point is like, you know, these sort of things that like glorify, uh, you know, slavery. Uh, it's just like, it's just like not a cool place to get married. And it's also asking a really wild thing of your guests. That's the other thing. I feel like in a lot of conventional wedding planning, the guests can feel anything from, um, taken advantage of to an afterthought and not always, of course, sometimes the guests feel really lovely and cared for, um, and special. And that's what we were aiming for. And even if Blake and I were okay with getting married on a plantation, who knows how our guests would feel about coming to a former plantation to watch us get married. That is just not a position we would put them in. One thing that was really lovely to see, even though it came about under terrible circumstances was after June, 2020, a lot of wedding planning sites and magazines and resources said they would stop featuring weddings that took place on plantations and stop listing them as potential venues. Hallelujah. Yeah, I, I still saw some of them come up in my search, but at least it seems like the glorification of it is not the same as it used to be, which I really appreciate. I feel like the pandemic has made it so that people are thinking in new and more complex ways what it means to gather and whose safety is prioritized when we gather. And I think that in some ways that has to do with pandemic safety, but I think in other ways it happens, it has to do with police presence or, you know, it has to do with, um, you know, a, a location, you know, I'm thinking about pride celebrations where people like, you know, white nationalists showed up with like guns. Like, I I think, I guess it sounds like I'm saying now that the empire is declining, people can stop going to weddings if they don't want to. But that's not really what I'm saying. I I just think that like, we're in a moment where we're thinking about gathering 
more intentionally for a lot of reasons. And I'm hoping that that will lead some people to be able to be like, I'm sorry, but I can't go to your wedding that you're having a plantation. I'm hoping that will be one trickle down effect. And I do, I do want to plug this incredible book that we've talked about. And I wish I knew where I first heard of this book so I could give so much credit, but the art of gathering by Priya Parker was so hugely helpful in figuring out um, intentional wedding planning from a lot of different angles, including kind of to what you're saying, helping your guests or potential guests feel like they will be safe physically and emotionally, mentally, socially, and always at your event. And I think we've talked about this a little bit based on Priya Parker's book, this idea of you know, the, the meeting the person who would be least comfortable or needs to be most cautious or safest, meeting them where they are and kind of conforming or shaping your entire event around making sure that the people who need to be most cautious or are most at risk um, feel safest and then kind of taking it from there. That was really helpful to me as I was planning. Rachel and I did a whole episode on that book because we both thought it was like so, had so much like profound stuff in it and so many things to think about in terms of like, I mean, it just kind of reorients you in terms of like how you're thinking about planning things. And the pandemic has made me realize how perverse it is that we expect people to do things every day that could really put them in harm's way. And it's like, if you're, if you're a person who doesn't want to do a thing because it's not safe for you to do it, or because the space isn't accessible or whatever, like you're the asshole because you aren't going to a thing where, as opposed to like anyone else is making any kind of accommodation for you. So yeah, that book is like, that fully like rearranged my brain in some really good ways. And we'll link to that in the show notes. One more thing we're going to talk about, which I hadn't seen before, but uh, there was a bride who, a bride-to-be who shared a two-page list of expectations for her bridesmaids. And the question that this article asks is genius or rude? So Zara, <laughs> can you talk a little bit? So this was a viral TikTok, which we will link to in the comments, um, which like most viral TikToks, I didn't see. But can you talk a little bit about this? Yes. And I will start by saying I think this is genius in large part because it, again, affirms my own life decisions and choices and opinions. But I think one of the really tough things about weddings and intentional wedding planning is there is so much that goes unsaid because people feel like it's not polite to talk about certain details, like how much something will cost if you're a bridesmaid how much time the bride expects or hopes you will be able to devote to um, the wedding. And what I love about this expectations list is that it makes it very, very, very clear so that everyone is on the same page about what it actually means to take part in this wedding. I don't know how much your friends have talked about this or how much you have even felt it, but so many people have talked to me about how they hate being asked to be in weddings because it's unclear. The expectations totally. aren't clear. So I, I love this. I actually did something pretty similar when I was asking my women of honor 
I didn't get as granular with like, here's how much certain things will cost. But I definitely said things like, you know, if you say yes to being a woman of honor, please do like wear a suit or a skirt or whatever article of clothing in this palette of 10 colors. And please don't worry about throwing me a bridal shower, things like that. So people knew what they were saying yes or no to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good idea. Th this list, I'm looking at it now and it's it's pretty awesome. It's like, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty in depth. Yes, it's in depth. First of all, second of all, I would say that none of it feels um, excessive to me, like in in the way that it's like, okay, like if you want to be in my bridal party, you have to get this dress this one exact dress. It doesn't matter how you feel about wearing a dress. It doesn't matter how you feel about the cut of this dress. It doesn't matter how you feel about how you look in this color. You have to get it and it's a thousand dollars. Like it's very much like, um, there's a lot of options. There's, it tells you what the costs are going to be up front. She says like, you know, if you can't do this, if you don't want to do this, that's fine. It doesn't feel like the expectations are really high to me, but on the other, but also in addition to that, everything is laid out so well. And it's like, it, there is that thing of like, well, we don't want to go into it. It's like too, it's like, it's going to be rude and weird if I say what I'm expecting, but it's like, but if you don't, and you just send someone an email and you're like, Hey, like, we're going to go do this thing. It's going to cost $1,200 and you have to be there. Like that's way worse. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with you. That's way worse. And I think the, again, like preconceived notion is that being asked to be in a wedding is an honor and you should just go with it. And I personally do feel like it's an honor. I love supporting my friends in that way. But I think that just getting the the details out there is is a way to be a good friend, to be honest, if you're planning a wedding. That's my opinion. I see that the the bachelorette trip is mandatory. So it's like, what would happen? Oh. <laughs> what would happen if you wanted to be, if you liked everything or, but you were like, see, cause one, one tricky thing is like, what if you have a, a bridal party now, now we're just getting into like weird wedding advice and we don't have to, but I just want to put this out there that like, if you have a wedding party where it's friends that are sort of from disparate parts of your life and you you want to go on a trip with them. Like, I don't know, I, that must happen a lot, but I don't know if I'd want to like go on an overnight trip with people I wasn't really friends with, especially if it's a group of people who are already friends with each other. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely know what you mean. And I missed that it was mandatory. I don't really think any part of being in a bridal party should be mandatory. I understand the hope that you will have the people you love surrounding you and supporting you in very specific ways. But one of the best pieces of advice I heard when I was planning is that no one was going to care about my wedding or our wedding as much as Blake and I were going to care. Everyone else could be excited for us, but it was not going to be on the same level. And I feel like not acknowledging that there are a lot of reasons people might not want to or not be able to go on a bachelorette that that's a little I would struggle with that whether I was the person getting married or the person being asked to do it yeah I think that's the one thing in this that's um a little bit of a toughie I can I can totally see how it would be awesome if if it was like if it was you and like your your squad that you do all mm -hmm. your stuff with but you know yeah um 
well, yeah, this is cool. I'm into this. I definitely think you should do a two page list of rules and expectations for your bridesmaids <laughs> or just be like really clear. And then she has like frequently asked questions according to Google, which I think is cool. I mean, mine was just like, I made these little cards for each person I was asking. And I just had my two lists that said, you know, I wrote something cheesy up top because I'm a words of affirmation freak. And then I had my lists that were, again, if you say yes, please do. And please don't. So it was pretty short. So you can go like pretty short. You can go to page. I just think some type of discussion about expectations is helpful. Can I also just really quickly, really quickly plug my wedding venue? Yeah. It was a great venue. Yeah. So it's this venue called Airly, A-I-R-L-I-E in Virginia. And in addition to really working with us on postponing and, you know, COVID safety stuff in terms of having all the windows and doors open, they were like the one Virginia venue that has a great social justice history. So they have had um, dating decades back, like Martin Luther King Jr. would go there for conferences and host talks there. And Earth Day was founded there. And they've had LGBTQ plus um, kind of summits there in dating back to the 80s. And it was just, it really felt like a hidden gem, especially in Virginia, and very much worth the various compromises. Like we did not get to have our wedding against a backdrop of green rolling hills and a blue sky, but it was very worth it to be able to get married somewhere that really aligned with our values in that way. Yeah, it was awesome. And no matter where you were sitting, you got to see like one of your faces during the ceremony, which was really sweet. What a good wedding. Okay. So listen, I feel like we could do, I feel like we could do one entire episode just on like wedding related. Am I the assholes? which are amazing. And we did have some that we planned to talk about, but we got really excited talking about like weird gender shit and other stuff. So we didn't get to it, but maybe you'll come back. Let's move on to a nice thing to end on. Uh, I'm just gonna say mine really quick and then you can go. My nice thing to end on is the video game Stray, where you play as Zara, a ginger tabby. What? Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. So Zara has a perfect angel of a cat who's a ginger tabby. He is the most, I mean, he's the most perfect ginger tabby to exist. True. We know that for True. a fact. Fact. Yes. He's beautiful. He has thoughtful, soulful eyes, and I'm obsessed <laughs> with him. So in this game, you play as a ginger tabby, and uh, you get separated from your little cat friends, and you end up in this sort of like, it's not really clear what happened, but like there was some sort of perhaps apocalyptic event and you're a city of robots and you have to help them sort of go back to what they call the outside, which is just the world. And it's very cute and very sweet. And, you know, you can meow and you can uh, scratch at things and you can rub people's legs. I was playing it on PS5, but I think you can also play it on Steam. Um, so 
look into that. And if you're not a video game person, I would just say go watch a, a video of people playing Stray on YouTube because um, it's just like lovely and cute and the art is beautiful. The design is really nice. I have to go watch a video of this since, as you know, I'm not a video game person, but I will say imagining Sunny with that type of responsibility, it would just be disastrous for everyone involved. (laughs) (laughs) There is a theory that all orange cats in the world share one brain cell and it just depends on the day who gets to use it. And I just cannot imagine Sunny with that level of, of responsibility. There is a, there are a couple different parts of the game where you can, there's just like a paper bag that's sitting up and you can walk into it and it is on your head and then you walk around like running into walls and stuff like that. Yeah, that has happened in my house and it turns into just utter chaos. Sunny and, and bags do not mix. He's so perfect. Zara, what is your nice thing to end on? My nice thing to end on is Friday morning FaceTime coffee catch-ups with friends. So I did this yesterday, a friend I had been meaning to catch up with who I met at our first jobs out of college when we were assistants at a magazine. She lives in New York City And we just put it on the calendar for 10 a.m. We both had coffee and we caught up and it was such a lovely way to start. That's amazing. Yeah, it was a good way to connect. I want to make it a regular thing and just do it a couple Fridays out of the month because it feels like a little a treat to end the week, but also a treat to start the weekend. It's a good sweet spot. Hell yeah. That's amazing. I, now I totally want to do that. Um, yeah, we can look do out, it. We I was can do say, it one Friday. Look out for an invite from me for a Friday morning coffee. That sounds amazing. Okay. Well, we did it. Zara, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, I like that. Thank you. This has been a great way to start my Saturday. Thank you for listening to this episode of Oh, I Like That. Please rate us and review us. And you can follow us on Twitter at Oh, I Like That Pod and email us at Oh, I Like That Pod at gmail.com. You can follow me at Sally T. And you should follow Crumbs and Whiskers on Instagram in lieu of following Zara, who, uh, as as a healthy, grounded person, doesn't very, <laughs> spend very much time on social media. But Crumbs and Whiskers is that. Well, why don't you say what it is, Zara? Oh my gosh. Do you have 10 hours to spend? Okay, so Crumbs and Whiskers is a cat cafe in DC and LA, and they have rescue cats that you can go spend time with and you can adopt. And through a kind of very long backstory, that is essentially how we got our cat Sunny. So I'm indebted to them forever. Yeah, and I started following them on Instagram because you told me to. And then when we were in D.C., we went and we bought an hour at the Cat Cafe. And you just sit there and cats climb all over you and you pet them. And they all have amazing (laughs) names. And it's just, it's incredible. Uh, Everyone follow Crumbs and Whiskers. It's We'll link to it in the show notes. It's a very rewarding social media follow is what I will say. This episode of Oh, I Like That was produced by Sally and Zara and edited by Aram. Amber Seeger designed our logo.